Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. I'm John Bodhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, and we have a full house again today with executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. And what? Hi, John. Christine was on. Only had one cup of coffee so far. So I apologize. And Washington commentary columnist and Christine's colleague at the American Enterprise Institute, Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. Uh, Big news today is that uh, the Biden administration is hurrying tanks to Ukraine. Uh, And here's something interesting for you people who believe that we are overcommitted in Ukraine. So the plan was for the newest version of the Abrams tank to be sent to Ukraine in about 150 years. Okay, not 150 years. Maybe next year they have to build them. They're not being built. They're being built in a plant in Lima, Ohio, or Lima, or I don't even know how you pronounce it. And, you know, they have to finish them, and they have some online they have to send to Australia so they don't have enough of them. And Anyway, and it was going to be 31 new Abrams tanks that were going to be sent to Ukraine like next year. So they're speeding this up, so they're going to refurbish old Abrams tanks and send them, you know, pre-owned, pre-owned Abrams tanks, refurbished Abrams tanks. How many tanks do you think we have in the U.S. military arsenal? I looked it up, by, by, by which I mean I typed in how many tanks are there in the U.S. military arsenal, and an answer popped up <laughs> immediately. It's not like I went to the so library. So it must be true. Like chat chat GPT. By the way, by the way, part of the problem is that there are different numbers, but so you can't really tell. But um, it appears that we have roughly 6,000 tanks in the American military arsenal, and we are talking about sending Ukraine 31 tanks. Now, maybe if it's not the new tanks, we'll be sending them more. But I just wanted to cite this number to make the point that this idea that we are committing vast resources and depleting our military readiness by doing this is on the face of it preposterous. This is 30, 40, 50, even if we send them a lot more tanks than we initially planned to out of a out of 6,000, that doesn't even like register practically as a percentage. So Use that when you want to have an argument with people who say we're doing too much with Ukraine, if you are on our side of this. uh, Well, I thought it was funny when this story, because uh, I saw the headline, and the headline in the Washington Post read, U.S. will speed transfer of Abrams tanks to Ukraine, Pentagon says. And I said, oh, good. We're going to send the tanks faster so that Ukraine can use them uh, later this spring or in the summer when they launch this much-anticipated counteroffensive. And then I read in the story, in the lead sentence, the Pentagon said Tuesday that it will send M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine by the fall. Yeah. (laughs) So even even our new uh, urgency isn't actually all that urgent. It's like, oh, we'll get it to you by September, you know. After the spring offensive, right? If we were to send them faster, you see, they would have to hire another shift literally says this in the story they have to hire another shift in again i don't know if it's lima bean or lima ohio lima peru or lima bean ohio i don't know which uh and i apologize to ohioans for if lima it's lima lima thank you okay so lima ohio uh yeah so uh you know what why don't you hire another shift there's a war on literally this is where the phrase don't you know there's a war on comes in it's like there's kind of urgency here hire another shift what is the size of the american military's budget is it 700 billion dollars a year you can hire another lousy shift to speed up the tanks that are going to ukraine especially since they're only going to be double digit numbers in a fleet of 6,000 American tanks that we possess. Is that too much to ask? Is that going to break the Pentagon bank? I am sorry. I don't understand the slow roll. And it does give you a sense that there is some weird 
There are people in the course of this process, in the permanent government, in the deep state, in the Pentagon, who are actually actively trying to slow the roll of our involvement in Ukraine, whether or not that is what Joe Biden wants or doesn't want. Well, it gets to the question of, you know, what's Biden's goal in Ukraine? Is it is his goal for Ukraine to win or is his goal simply to uh kill as many Russians as possible to drag the war out by just giving Ukraine what it needs, you know, just in time uh, to allow the war to drag on and degrade the Russian military capability. And uh, I think that the, uh, there's a debate in the, in the administration over this, but um, the, the need is for Ukrainian victory and getting the tanks there sooner rather than later is uh, essential to Ukrainian victory. Uh, in that regard, Abe, I just want to uh, cite uh, a letter written by uh, our friend Senator Tom Cotton, along with Richard Blumenthal, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, Angus King, the independent senator from Maine, and Roger Wicker, Cotton's fellow um, Republican from uh, Mississippi. So here's the letter to Lloyd Austin, the secretary, the uh, 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 Defense Secretary. Dear Secretary Austin, we are writing to request that the Department of Defense immediately undertake an urgent and comprehensive update to its warfighting requirements for, for confronting Russia and Europe. It is our understanding that the department has not reassessed its European theater warfighting requirements since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and does not anticipate significantly changing them until fiscal year 2026. Maintaining outdated plans and assumptions represents a potential threat not only to our objectives in Europe, but also to our allocation of resources in dealing with our security interests elsewhere in the world. Senior U.S. military leaders have publicly stated that Russia has suffered upwards of 200,000 casualties and lost significant portions of its most knowledgeable officer and non-commissioned officer corps. Open source reports also indicate that Ukraine has destroyed half of Russia's operational tanks, and a large proportion of its armored personnel carriers, among other critical capabilities. Let me drop a footnote here to say that we are not the largest, uh, we we are not the nation with the largest number of tanks in the world, even though we have the largest military. Russia actually is. It has, according to some estimates, close to, or had, close to 20,000 tanks. Imagine what this means. Imagine that this means that in the course of the past year, they have lost 10,000 tanks. Just, just think about the achievement of the Ukrainian military in slowing uh, and impeding Russia's desires here. I mean, it's kind of staggering, okay? So again, just continue the letter. Put simply, the Ukrainian armed forces have significantly downgraded, degraded Russia's conventional forces over the past year. Simultaneously, Western sanctions, and this is a point that is too infrequently made, have effectively constrained Moscow's ability to rebuild its battered conventional forces. Russia's military is not the same as it was in 2021, and it shows no signs of returning to its pre-invasion state in the near term. Our European warfighting requirements should reflect this new reality, not in 2026, but now. So, Let's think about this letter and it's and it's like plain common sense. The Ukrainians have degraded Russia significantly. We have imposed sanctions on Russia for its invasion of Ukraine that are making it very difficult for Russia to rebuild what it lost over the course of the last year. And Blumenthal, Cotton, Wicker, and King are saying, take advantage deal with the reality as it is and the and the and the success of the Ukrainian military's counter response and alter your trajectory and jump on this don't you know there's a war on it seems as if there is almost a fear of victory uh for Ukraine and what that would entail um because then the U.S. would have to make all sorts of hard decisions um, uh, about uh, its involvement in adjudicating the peace, um, in its new posture toward Russia, uh, toward Ukraine, reorienting itself toward uh, 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 in regard to China. And so at this late date, there is still, I think, 
this wariness of escalating things in Putin's eyes, right? Um, doesn't matter that he's ramping up, uh, 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 throwing ever more bodies uh, into into the fight, um, re re upping his 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 the worst tactics uh, of of the war so far. That China's getting more deeply involved, um, contemplating uh, sending deadly weaponry. We still seem to be saying we don't want. There's a line. There's some imaginary line that keeps kind of moving uh, that we don't want to cross that will escalate things um, in some sort of uh, 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 sort of you know point of no return that will get us into something very deep and dangerous here. Uh, it's just very, it's very. That's a very interesting uh, uh, analysis, and it also speaks to something that Matt mentioned the other day about um, the twentieth anniversary of the invasion of Iraq and whether we are facing Iraq syndrome. We have a very interesting hitch in our get along as a nation following World War II. We have prosecuted, we have directly been involved in wars in Korea, Vietnam, and in Iraq the first time, in which we have not sought the complete defeat of our enemies, but have fought this war in order to come to some conclusion at the diplomatic bargaining table. And there, this is now a you know seven decade propensity on the part of the United States. Obviously, we've sort of lost in Afghanistan. We didn't we didn't try to win in Afghanistan. I mean, we did win in Afghanistan in some sense because we removed the government of Afghanistan. We won in Iraq in two thousand three because we removed Saddam from power. But we are not looking to score knockout blows, and uh, I, there's no choice in the Ukraine situation. But a knockout blow, I don't think. Otherwise, this war just goes on forever. And if that's preferable, as opposed to giving Ukraine the tools to actually win the war, as they would define winning the war, there are two possible definitions of winning the war, one of which is the Russians slink away and stop their offensive and go away and leave Ukraine where it was in, you know, in, uh, in 2022, or... And the more radical version, they somehow get them out of out of Crimea and the Donbass, which I think is probably is way may really be a bridge too far. Nonetheless, that's it. Like otherwise, the the war will never end. Yeah, the lack of an end game is uh, seriously disturbing here. I mean, uh, you could have an end game where you say, "Well, we need to have a ceasefire. We need to have a peace negotiation." That's China's end game. I mean, that's what China proposed. Interestingly enough, out of that summit uh, between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, which ended yesterday, there was seemed to be no progress on the Chinese ceasefire proposal. And I think that's because China was mugged by reality, <laughs> which is Russia doesn't want a ceasefire, right? Um, but that is one end game. You know, let's, let's have negotiations, diplomacy, and bring this war to an end. The other end game is, um, Ukraine wins. What does Ukraine win winning mean? It means Ukraine is able to uh, reclaim its uh, borders as were established in uh, 1991. Uh, and that means uh, both the, the Donbass of Eastern Ukraine, uh, as well as the Crimean Peninsula, which um, up until 2014 was Ukrainian territory. Um, there is a deeper, I think, uh, fear uh, in the administration, that if Ukraine was able to advance to the point where it uh, reached either the um, eastern border with Russia or invaded the Crimean Peninsula, then Russia would escalate. Uh, and what does that mean? And what does that mean? The introduction of nuclear weapons into the conflict. Because of that fear, uh, they've been uh, self-deterring and they've been eking out the materiel uh, over the course of the past year in a, in a way that produces the current situation of kind of war of attrition, no real progress. Russia can't win in the sense of its original objective, toppling the Kiev government. That's not going to happen. It's clear. Uh, but can Ukraine win 
Well, not with the way that we're supplying them to date. And the lack of an end game, though, I think benefits Russia because time is on Russia's side here. Putin thinks so. Putin thinks that he can just draw this out, lob missiles at Ukrainian cities, separate Ukrainian children from their families, slowly, you know, inch by inch through mass casualty wave attacks, uh, uh, consolidate his position in the East. And eventually the resolve of the Western alliance will break. Um, that's not a scenario we should welcome. <laughs> I don't have, not at all. Um, the other day, a Ukrainian commander described what it was like to be fighting the Russians in Bakhmut and said that, um, basically he said that the Ukrainian military or the soldiers fighting on the other side were getting increasingly freaked out by the Russians, not because they were so formidable, but because they were sitting ducks that every hour or two, 15 guys would come over the hill just right in front of them to get mowed down by the Ukrainian military. And the commander said, are they on drugs? We can't figure it out. You know, this this being a kind of thing that we know about with terrorists that they often pump, you know, Palestinian terrorists often pump their suicide bombers full of, you know, full of um, happy drugs uh, to keep them on, on on course and not and 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 vitiate any possibility of them getting so seized by fear that they don't go through the motions. And uh, there's a double-edged sword to this. So one of them is the the weirdness of having a, a a people literally just throwing their bodies at you to be shot and to use up your bullets or something. But the other, so that's creepy and it's disturbing to the Ukrainians because they're like, what are they doing? They're not even human. This is not a normal form of behavior. And the other is that it kind of implicitly makes the point that the Cotton King wicker blumenthal letter banks which is the russians are running out of everything except physical human bodies and then they you know they get some stuff from iran and they throw it at kiev or whatever but they are their position is degraded and they the uh, what they're using as their surplus fodder is people and we can stop that by allowing the Ukrainian space to push their front forward to their border with Russia and basically say, you stay on that side. Like, you clearly don't really have the means or the wherewithal at this moment to advance on us. You're just, you're throwing people at us, and then every couple of weeks you blow up buildings, you know, in our interior, and it's terrible for us and it's terrible for you but like what's the what's the goal here and if we get those if we get an extra shift in the lima ohio plant and get those tanks there faster and maybe the f-16s train them on the f-16s and then let them fly the f-16s we can stop this charnel house of death and destruction and really sort of like horror movie murder that the that the russian military is practicing on its own people yeah the idea that somehow um time is working to ukraine's advantage or to the west's advantage is just uh wrong um i saw this quote from the new czech president peter pavel uh who's supporter of nato um he was uh, he kind of opposed the nationalist populists in the Czech Republic and he won, but uh, just in, he visited Poland this week and he said, quote, that a Ukrainian counteroffensive needs to happen within the next few months. The window of opportunity, he said, is open this year, but after next winter, it will be extremely difficult to maintain the current level of aid to Ukraine. And what that, that just means that the time is now, <laughs> you know, you, there's something, the next phase of this war uh, needs to be um, uh, resourced effectively for Ukraine to uh, 
gain as much advantage as it can because once it resolves into a another kind of war of attrition, that might be it. I mean, that might be where the, the borders are. Um, and so you want to have them, uh, the Ukrainians, in the best position possible. Yeah, and not even to be, you know, uh, t- take a sort of, a, 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 despite the crushing morosity brand here, not to take a tone of, of gloom, but this would be a consolidation and an advancement of gains. The Ukraine has won the first year of this war. It's not like it's battled Russia to a stalemate. This massively larger military, massively wealthier country, massively more, you know, resourced uh, place is, has been sunk into the mud and humiliated by this much smaller country that is being led by a guy who until 2018 was best known as the star of a television show. Let them give them the tools to win. They're showing that they can do it and they want to do it. And we don't need to do anything except give them objects that we have 6,000 more of back in Lima, Ohio. I, it just, you know, it's, it's a, we're, we're in a, there's a very straight and, I think your point is very important. Noah made it, Noah Rothman made it on the podcast as the war was starting, which is a boy like this. We're having, we're going to be in a conventional military conflict with another nuclear power. We need to think about this very hard and long, even though we, you know, we need to help the Ukrainians win, but this is a situation unlike any other. But of course, that's just paralyzing. And that is allowing the Russians a kind of nuclear blackmail tool to use against you it's like no 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 don't send the planes or we might nuke you i thought the whole point was yeah you nuke us we nuke you 10 times worse so you know what shut your mouth you know we don't want to be nuked but trust me you don't want to be nuked by us our nukes are better than your nukes you're sounding like a certain former president john I'm just saying, our nuclear button is I'm much just larger. Saying, I'm just saying that it's none, a of this button. Is, none of this is a conversation that needs to be had. That's the whole point. This is a conventional conflict in physical space that the Russians are losing. It is not a world, a global war that they are going to risk, you know, 20 million dead because they can't figure out how to move a tank from Bakhmut west into ukraine you know it just doesn't i think it's I, by the way i, I mean I, I think that that this this fear of a of a nuclear confrontation is is very real but i don't think that's the only thing i think it's just all it's also a sort of reluctance to deal with a changed or an actually changed world it's like it's like there's a sort of there's a comfort zone in handling bad actors um, not in defeating them. Defeating them means a whole new set of of things right. you have to do, and and a whole new set of relationships and parameters. And it's like we 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 know how to we know how to we know how to 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 sort of handle them. We can deal with frozen conflicts. Um, there's a whole new reality kicks in uh, when when you actually do something that decisively changes the world. That's that's absolutely true. Okay, so um, something we did not talk about, and I didn't even tell you guys I was going to bring it up because I didn't think I was going to bring it up until 30 seconds ago, but it's worth bringing up because we're talking about Biden's responses to things and the Biden administration's responses to things is this veto, first veto of the Biden administration, which was of this congressional uh, legislation to restrict the Biden written rule uh after the passage of the climate reduction act that obliges or suggests that um uh companies are permitted or not just permitted but encouraged to consider uh ESG that's how how uh, that's uh environment social and i gender i can't remember governance (laughs) governance i'm sorry gender yeah yeah oh boy basically liberal you know progressive investing 
that privileges proper progressive goals and social social desires over the general investing strategy that pension funds and others are supposed to do, which is to maximize gains in the funds so that the people who have invested in them, particularly for their retirements, uh, are not only solvent, but that, you know, basically get the money that they need out of it. So for, you know, basically for, for 800 years in the, in the, in the growing world of capitalism, the idea was that if you're investing somebody else's money, what you're supposed to do, if they give you the money and you're supposed to focus on how to make them more back. And suddenly now the Biden administration announced, no, 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 no. It's much, it's more, it's at least as important to do good things with it as we define them because well, a lot of what they want to do i don't think is good so the hell with them and then congress went you know no 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 let's get let's just uh let's table this for now because this is not we're not going to revolutionize the world of investment strategy based on gina raimondo uh, rewriting the rules of capitalism and Biden decided to cast his first veto against this effort to push back on the regulatory regime that Gina Raimondo wanted to install as as the as her department was writing the new regulations on investing. But I think it's also worth noting how he chose to uh, voice that veto, uh, because his, the language he used is, I think, quite telling and and quite telling for positioning himself in the upcoming. Uh, re-election campaign, because he said, I'm going to read his tweet. Well, his tweet, whoever wrote this tweet. Uh, this is from his POTUS account. He says, I just vetoed my first bill. This bill would risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like. Your plan manager should be able to protect your hard-earned savings, whether Marjorie Taylor Greene likes it or not. Okay, so talk about your top hits. The only thing he didn't say was ultra MAGA. I guess they've backed away from ultra MAGA, but he has MAGA, he has Marjorie Taylor Greene, he has risking your savings. Like it, it's it's the sort of trifecta for for the Democratic left right now. What they say whenever they're they're uh, facing questions about their policies, and particularly about policies that the vast majority of Americans do not agree with in terms of, for lack of a better term, wokeness. Um, that struck me. That was because there was bipartisan support for this bill. It wasn't just MAGA Republicans. There were Democrats who voted for this, too. So I think it it, it reveals either desperation or political strategizing looking ahead uh, over the next two years. But we do know the media, the mainstream media loves when anyone invokes Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's the new one. They they will. If you look at actually, you can track how much more often she is she is mentioned in, in press stories about anything to do with government, government, federal government than any other Republican. And so it, it's kind of fascinating. I, I was shocked by the tone of that tweet. I will say that. I, I was surprised that he decided to take that tack. It's the ultimate in chutzpah, right? I mean, mm -hmm. basically, he's saying, we're just trying to protect your money by having people invested in a way that threatens gains. So that's what we're doing. And they, they, they're actually, they want, I mean... It is chutzpah in the sense that it's like the you know the 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 guy who murders his parents and then throws himself on the mercy of the court, saying that he's an orphan. But it's also elite condescension to say we know best how your money should be invested with these political ideolo ideologies in mind when we do it versus what you said, what the market suggests, what people who are looking to to bring the the best returns on people's investments suggest. Yeah, I think that Biden. Uh tweet uh, telegraphs the fact that they don't really have a good argument for this uh, rule. I mean, uh, it's a response to, I think, a Trump administration rule where Trump laid out the fact that pension funds and institutional investors need to always look to maximize <laughs> their returns. <laughs> and um, that's, as you say, John, you know, kind of the basic understanding of capitalism for 800 years or whatever. Um, and then uh, Biden has reversed that and now inter to introduce the ESG qualifications. And then the House and the Senate in a bipartisan um, fashion, Jared Golden joining um, the Republicans in the House and then um, a few, Tester, Tester and Manchin, both of whom are up for re-election next year, joining the, the Republican senators using the Congressional Review Act one of my favorite pieces of legislation to overturn the the Biden rule. 
And so what's Biden's response? Does he defend ESG on the merits? No, no. Instead, it's anti-MAGA, anti-MAGA. And it, I think it's revealing of a larger strategy uh, of the Biden administration, which is everything is everything they don't like is now MAGA. And they think now if, you know, the, the way to run against Republicans for the next two years is just to say MAGA, 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 Marjorie Taylor Greene. And uh, my co- our colleague at the American Enterprise Institute, Rui Teixeira, says, you know, there's some real risks in that strategy, because if Republicans just have um, a spokesman who is not uh, ultra MAGA and who doesn't start talking about the Jewish space lasers, or how the election was stolen in 2020, um, you know, voters may say, well, "What are they? Do- What's the? De- what are the Democrats doing? Saying hey, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA? This guy, this guy isn't MAGA. Uh, this guy is normal. Um, and if you if you're on Team Normal, you're going to win, no matter which party you may belong to. I, I it's very. It, it, it's also interesting coming from Democrats at a time when there's this charge made by liberals that. It the conservatives label everything they don't like as woke, and try to paint all all exactly. Democrats as woke, um, and how dishonest that is, and it's a scare tactic, you know. Yeah, we need to we need to write a piece about you know what does MAGA even mean? Yeah. Right. Define exactly. define, define MAGA. MAGA. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Um, who is the poster child for ESG investing? Sam Bankman, our, our little Freed. our little friend who's facing some criminal charges. Yes, Sam, Sam Bankman Freed, FTX. Like that was the whole point. It's uh, effective altruism. You know, use capitalism to advance the good progressive goals. And the whole point about Sam Bankman Freed and FTX is that it was all a scam. That you use ESG as a as a method of separating fools from their money. And then you take the money and you do whatever the hell you want with it. And you are unconstrained by mores and habits and, and, and practices of that, that, that preceded you because you are, you are like Tartuffe. You are wrapping yourself in the mantle of virtue while you're being a villain. And this is actually what Biden wants to side with, because as this goes forward over the next two years, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to be in the dock. And that is a trial that will be closely watched. And there is going to be a lot of talk about this. And Biden's sole veto so far is going to be, let's have more Sam Bankman-Frieds. That's what we really need. Calpers, you guys in you know California, you know in the California pension fund business, go find somebody else at FTX. You know Silicon Valley Bank. Where were the effective altruists and the ESG people putting their money in Silicon Valley Bank? This is really what you want to line yourself up with when you're going into a re-election campaign. Well, that and it's it'll- clearly going to have a very populist over overlay. Right. Democrats are suggesting it. Republicans are suggesting it. I don't know that that is a smart move. Well, you don't have to you don't actually need a raging populist response to those very basic facts. I will say I'm a little more skeptical that if if when Samuel Bankman Fried faces any charges, it's going to be covered very well. The media coverage of all of FTX's meltdown and Samuel Bankman Fried was was handled with kid gloves. This guy is on their team and and you know believes what or or at least parrots what they believe. And there was a lot of very questionable coverage of how he was treated as almost like a victim in in some venues. Uh, the New York Times hosted him in a panel discussion. I mean, I worry that actually there'll be a very concerted effort in in the financial media to cover him as some sort of you know uh, victim versus a poster child for everything that's wrong with this. But we do have to to Abe's earlier point. Like, do you have if there's someone who can respond to this sort of thing? Call. Uh, we have this interview that that Ron DeSantis has done with Pierce Morgan, and and he actually, I have to say, I was really 
uh, impressed with how, you know, we always say you shouldn't get into the pig pen and wrestle with the pigs because you'll come out muddy. He was literally standing on the fence of the pen, looking in and sort of commenting on what he's seeing. Now he's going to have to get in that pen in, in, when it comes time to, you know, primary debates and that stuff. But I, I liked the caution without sort of pretending there wasn't a pig pen there that he, he knows is there. So he, he handled his responses to Trump were really smart. But the thing he said that I thought was most, um, strategically uh, wise on his part was to talk about how he wants to see other Republicans win. So it's not just a battle of personalities between himself and Trump. What he said is, look, I, I just want Republicans to win. I want my team to do well. And that's a message Republicans have not heard in a long time from anyone who who is trying to become the leader of their party. I mean, what he said, right, what DeSantis said in this interview with Pierce Morgan in the in the New York Post is, I'm running against Biden. I'm not running against Trump. Now, we've been focusing on the fact that he has to run against, he can't run against Biden until he runs against Trump. But it's a very interesting way, I think, to frame to frame what's going on here because it's a way for him to say, and I think in a weird way, paralleling Biden's successful run in 2019, 2020 of saying, I've got my eyes on November of 2024. And I... Yeah, maybe I have to get in the mud with Trump or not. And he already showed that he was he had some um, uh, flexible and interesting ways of doing that. You know, on Monday, this obviously was came out yesterday, Tuesday. Um, but that I'm not going to be thrown off my game. The problem here is what Biden is doing to the country. And, you know, Trump can say whatever he wants to about me. But I'm 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 going to be standing here explaining to voters, including Republican voters and then independents with who, whom I won by 18 points. He says very pointedly in Florida, I won independence by 18 points. Just keep that in mind while we're talking about what's going on, you know, what who you should choose uh, in the in the Republican primaries, since that's really the key to victory is winning independence. But he basically is saying. Everything else is a sideshow. We need to defeat Biden. And if you if if this race becomes a referendum on Trump and Trump and Trump and Trump, then we're basically going to cut our let you know we're going to cut ourselves off at the knees. That's the normie thing. But he did it. I, I like this strategy here, if it is indeed a strategy. But he just says, you know, no drama. So there's a way in which, and he can actually this he could do if he's on a stage with Trump in a primary debate. And Trump's like, you didn't defend me. You did this. I got you. He could go into his personal vendettas, yeah. which he loves to do in those contexts. And DeSantis can just be like, look, I'm here to govern. Look at what I've done in Florida. I've won independence. All this drama, the drama encapsulates Trump's in, insane personality and his weird personal vendettas. It can cover all the legal stuff. Trump has new legal stuff on his horizon. We just found out that the the documents case, you know, th there's evidence been presented that now Trump's lawyer is going to have to testify before the, the grand jury in D.C. So he those will continue to. He can say by saying, I'm not here for the drama. I'm here to win for my team because my team needs to combat what's going on right now. That message can it's just a reminder without getting into the details and getting fighting on Trump's turf that he's the normie guy. He's the guy who's just going to get things done. I thought that this interview was a good reassertion of DeSantis's uh, better qualities after a week of um, kind of missteps and, uh, with the written answer to Tucker Carlson on the Ukraine uh, war. Um, and then uh, Trump kind of, um, attacking DeSantis for months, as we've been talking about, with no real response. Here, DeSantis is kind of, he's controlling the medium, right? So it's with Piers Morgan, it's Fox, uh, New York Post, News Corporation, friendly territory. Um, and he's he's restating kind of the core points he made, DeSantis, in his victory speech after he won that stunning re-election last November. The core points are, you know, he won in every uh, demographic, um, every swing demographic. He won um, independence, and he focused on the independence in this interview. He said, look, the way to win, you can't win with Republicans alone. You need to win independent voters, too. That's what I did. I'm going to do that uh, if I run for president. Um, he talked about uh, the fact that he is a winner with the implication that Trump is a loser, um, he tells Piers Morgan that uh, he would have fired Fauci 
So you're seeing all the lines that he could use pretty effectively. That's his strength. And, you know, that his strength is um, Florida's response to the pandemic. His strength is all the uh, the fact that Florida is now a red state after decades of being a swing state. Um, the fact that he has demonstrated uh, an ability to appeal to independent voters, at least independent voters in Florida. Um, and he's saying that he's not going to be into the drama. That's not the drama with DeSantis. With DeSantis, you have some high stakes culture war stuff, but you don't have personality and antics. Um, that's a, that is a pretty compelling message in a Republican primary. And if he just needs to stay on it uh, while shoring up, I think, some of his uh, bona fides on, on foreign policy. Um, so he may be aided by the unhinged quality of the Trump defenders, which has been coming out since the, uh, you know, since the release of the news that he Trump was likely to be indicted in New York. And ordinarily I don't like, like to cite, you know, one lunatic, you know, or one crazy person or whatever, because that's not fair. And, you know, this is a very big, you know, this is a, a, a very big world that we live in and all of that. But, um, I do want to cite uh, because we we talk about whether there's Trump and Trumpism and is there such a thing as Trumpism and can you, you know, can you evoke Trumpism without Trump? And I think it's increasingly clear that you can't because the Trumpists who are supposedly uh, philosophically serious about the Trump vision um, are showing themselves basically to be tribal crazy people and i want to cite in particular um a claremont uh institute veteran uh somebody who worked in the white house in 2017 2018 in some fashion just graduated from cornell law school his name is paul ingracia so he's an ivy league law school graduate he studied at claremont which is was once a very you know serious um you know, effort to sort of uh, put meat on the bones of uh, the political philosophy of what was called uh, what were called the West Coast Straussians. Here is Paul Ingracia's tweet about Ron DeSantis from March twentieth, and at this point, the only quote men unquote who pledge fealty to Ron DeSantis are full blown spiritual communists. Ron DeSantis is a mirror for their own mediocrity and cowardice, the amount of fanaticism and zealotry they display, to say nothing of unhinged contemptuousness toward Trump loyalists at ever fiercer volumes in their long-shot crusade to replace Trump with DeSantis as party kingmaker is revelatory, almost at a Freudian level of their recognition of their own impotence. They are coming to realize deep down that they have embarked on a fool's errand and their deep rages and snarling beast-like howls on their way down to irrelevancy is biting testimony to their incompetence. As Lucifer rebelled against God, they have similarly followed a Luciferian path and for that reason are damned to meet a similar fate. And then he attaches an illustration of DeSantis with horns and a and a lizard uh, around his neck with the uh, caption "Ron de Satan." Didn't he violate the? Much. <laughs> didn't he violate the 180 character rule I, policy? Now, no, I guess if, if he pay pays, is he Twitter year, blue? Can, yeah. Yes, well, yeah. So yeah, there you go. So yeah. we get the full. You know, it's funny. Um, the that that world though is kind of uh, split because um, uh, another uh, Claremont. Uh, uh, affiliate um the media consultant uh david reboy he's quoted in the washington post today saying the trump people expect DeSantis to throw himself into the service of donald trump at all times because guess what that's what republicans have done since 2016 if somebody is going to challenge donald trump they have to put an end to that and he's he's saying he's he prefers DeSantis. so that world is kind of fracturing i think um between uh, Trumpists and uh, people who are looking for an alternative in DeSantis. And that, I mean, that is kind of DeSantis's strategy, it seems to me, 
to slowly eat <clears throat> into the Trump base until all Trump is left with are uh, people like um, Paul and Gracia, who are, who are not representative, I think it's fair to say, of the American electorate or even the Republican electorate. I I think I would contest that a little bit because it it strikes me that in Gracia's tweet here uh, is an indicator that um, if DeSantis is going to play this long game, he sh- he doesn't he needs to look beyond eating into the Trump base. That it's that 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 is a that that is a mistake. It's too hard and heavy a lift. The thing that he says to Pierce Morgan, which is, "I won independence by 18 points." Granted, independents aren't going to be voting in Republican primaries, particularly as you noted the other day. If the Trump people succeed in getting a lot of those primaries closed off, so that they are only Republican-only voters in in the Republican contests, but. I just don't see how if this emotion that says that not supporting Trump is Luciferian, um, that is a useful jujitsu. I don't want to get into Christine's territory here as a martial artist, because as people know, Christine is a black belt in martial arts. But that is a that is something that DeSantis can use implicitly. From now I was going to say there's a reversal out of most pins. So if he thinks he's pinning DeSantis with right. this, there's easy reversals out of some of this right. intellectually I just, speaking. I just mean every time they speak in his defense, and this includes Marjorie Taylor Greene and all of that, they are making the no drama point for DeSantis. You get me. I fight Disney. I fight Biden. I fight DEI, I fight Fauci, I fight for schools, I fight curricula. But I'm not that so you're getting me, I am there fighting for you. But uh I'm not a crazy person, and the people who back me are not crazy people. Well, it's the freedom message, right? Free Florida, free like freedom yeah. versus drama. Like that's the contrast you can yeah. easily draw. But there's among also, those there's also, I mean I don't think most of the people who who support Trump or, or who have an affinity for Trump are on this sort of Luciferian uh, train here, you know, the the the, the Ron DeSantis uh, train. In fact, I mean, I think the sort of the case for DeSantis among people who are sympathetic to Trump kind of gets made by Trump himself. There there are people out there who who in their bones would prefer Trump if they could snap their fingers and and see trump in the white house that's what they want but they recognize that it's impractical and therefore they're fine with the desantis um he just has to keep them keep keep them thinking that yeah but i'm saying it's made easier trump's defenders are going to make that easier for desantis Again, right. Gracia is obviously an outlier. I'm not saying that this is an opinion that is shared by most people. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, he needs to get Thorazine. This is like a, this is a very psychotic thing that he has tweeted here, intellectually psychotic, maybe not practice. Maybe he needs intellectual Thorazine in the form of, say, reading Harry Jaffa who is himself not exactly the sanest person, but Crisis of the House Divided is a great book that would should temper somebody's intellectual psychosis like this if he is actually going to have Claremont in his Twitter bio. Good luck getting a job, by the way, at a law firm, Paul and Gracia. That's really, you really did yourself proud there. I think the, the two hundred and twenty-five thousand hey, dollars. Trump always needs lawyers, calls. John. That's one thing we do know. The, the strategy of painting DeSantis as some kind of never-Trumper uh, which uh, w- ha- I've seen in a few quotes by the Trump team in recent days, it just, I don't think will work. It just won't work. And even saying that he's a fixture, that DeSantis is a fixture of the establishment. I mean, that is, I think it's a little bit hard. I mean, DeSantis is not Jeb Bush. 
right? Well, that and that actually, did you see? I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you the the um in, in the interview, DeSantis kind of tackles that head on, right? Because he's asked by Piers Morgan, like, didn't you didn't you and Trump used to get along? Like, what happened? It's sort of like when a marriage breaks up, like, oh, who's yeah. what what happened here? And he had a really good and very, I assume it's a forthcoming honest answer. He said, you know what? When I was in the House, I was one of the few who who defended him against the Russiagate stuff. I did. I thought that was unfair. You know, we had a good relationship. But he when did he turn on him? When he won, when he started winning big and when he was seen by Trump, who we all know to be a rather deeply insecure political figure as competition or as someone who wasn't giving the kind of fealty back to Trump for what was, in fact, DeSantis's own victorious strategy. So that but but I thought that the way he spoke about that, you cannot paint him as a never Trumper. He he wasn't a never Trumper. He he had an ad in his first campaign for governor that was very flattering with Trump and, and linked him directly flattering. to it. Yeah, but, I mean, and, it was it was Paul and Gracia like in reverse. Yes, that it was Trump it was had. very. Yes, it was it very. Was like, it was like I mean, it was it. But it, but his. It, but that, yeah. but he's capturing in this interview, this recent yeah. interview, I think a journey that probably, as as you were describing, Matt, a lot of uh, voters who happily voted for Trump the first time around, but are like, eh, again, uh, they have had that same journey too, to be like, yeah, that you know what, they've been out to get him, but he's also been this agent right. of chaos and drama. Right. I mean, the never Trumpers don't think DeSantis is a never Trumper, right? But that's, that's right. the huge yeah. debate in never Trump world is who's worse, DeSantis or Trump, right? And there's, and so I just think it's hard to paint him as a never Trumper fixture of the establishment. Now, look, a lot of establishment Republicans are working their way to backing DeSantis because they believe he is the best shot to get the party past Trump. And that means that DeSantis has had to do this kind of right wing triangulation, right? And in terms of his foreign policy answer on Ukraine, um, in terms of some of his uh, stances on uh, woke politics and the reach of the state uh, into private institutions, which, you know, um, might unsettle uh, some of us, but it, it, it it's a recognition, I think, on his part of the political reality. And that's what I mean about kind of eating into the Trump base slowly while also trying to bring in a larger contingent. Now, that's this plan. He seems that he he understands that. This interview with Piers Morgan, again, I think is his best presentation of his argument after a rocky few weeks. Um, the question is, will it work? And for that, we have to wait and see. I also um, think yeah, the, in the in the interview with Piers Morgan, DeSantis made a very savvy nod to populism um, and sort of ding Trump a little here. And he, and it's it's a line he can continue to 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 draw from. Um, when responding to, you know, the question of well, how do you, you know, take uh, uh, Trump's attacks on you, he said, you know, well, if I, if I get caught up in the, in the drama, um, it's, it's detracting from my ability to put up wins for the American people. It's like all that drama stuff is not for you. What, what my, my wins, my record uh, is me demonstrating that I can get things accomplished for you. Don't be fooled by the drama. Um, I just want to close on this. Uh, uh, Christine alluded to this earlier. Um, this uh, story that's hard to follow uh, about the Jack Smith um, special prosecution case against Trump on the classified documents. Washington Post has this. It is a a sealed opinion so sealed that it's of course leaked and it's immediately leaked to the, to the washington, washington post, post. <laughs> sealed on on friday by um a judge emeritus i guess of the of the dc circuit um beryl howell who says that because the special prosecutor has presented prima facie evidence that trump committed a crime that he and intentionally that, concealed from that he intentionally documents. concealed yes. from his lawyers, right? That his lawyers can now be compelled to testify because if he lied to them, he is no longer they are no longer bound by attorney client privilege, right? So they want Evan Corcoran to come testify before the right. grand jury, yeah. So I just want to. I'm only bringing this up because I'm wondering if other people are going to have the same reaction today. And none of us, you know, we were, if we had Adam White here, maybe he could, you know, somebody who sort of understands this better, way better than I do. 
So you're not allowed to lie to your lawyer? Is that if you lie to your lawyer, then your lawyer can testify against you? Am I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't, I'm kind of, it, it, I, I don't understand. Uh, does anybody understand? Well, his lawyer can file a response to that. Like they can respond to that order, right? Like they, right. they, they don't just have to immediately show up and start testifying against Trump, but Corcoran can respond to what the judge has ordered. Um, so a former top national security official in the Justice Department, now in private practice, Brandon Von Grack, tells ABC News, uh, the government had presented some evidence and allegation that they had evidence that met the elements of a crime. And Howell found that prosecutors showed sufficient evidence that Trump intentionally concealed the existence of additional classified documents from Corcoran, which put Corcoran in an unwitting position to deceive the government. Um, so in other words, Trump induced Corcoran to deceive the government. So Corcoran lies to the government unintentionally because Trump doesn't tell him the truth and that therefore this pierces the attorney client privilege. I, you know, that's, I, I just wonder whether people are going to go, what? Like, yeah, but I it don't puts know. pressure on Corcoran, basically, is right, the point, okay. right? He He's yeah. given an out here to sort of say what he knows now. And I, think, I think it's being um, appealed. And so now the D.C. Yeah. Circuit uh, is going to have a panel of judges look at it, right. the order, too. So right. um, people probably share your reaction, John. Well, and, that's OK. I'm just wondering because I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to follow this in terms of common sense. Like, I understand that you're not allowed to lie on the stand. I understand that you're not allowed to lie in a deposition. I understand that if you sign U.S. 1001, you can't lie in what you say on that statement. All of these are, you know, acts of perjury or whatever, and that you are. The, but but I didn't know that you couldn't, in a private consultation with your lawyer, lie to your lawyer. Well, I but so, so that, yeah, you can't. You can. People lie to their lawyers all the time. Okay. I mean, okay. has no one watched Better Call Saul? Like, this is. That's this what is, I'm this, saying. But, I've but watched this could, Better Call Saul. But this could also be about maybe documents that he signed or things that, like, it could involve some something other than just attorney-client privilege conversations. It could involve, right. you know, responses to the federal government. Right. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, that's why it's, it's not good for Trump. Story. No, that's it's, all we need to know. Right. That's true. Things I mean, are not looking good for Trump yeah. right now okay. on except the legal of course, front. Except, of course, everything that happens that is so incredibly unjust, it just, it just helps him. We have a story in the New York Times that we can con conclude with this. Uh, my friend Maggie Haberman, uh, co-bylines, saying that Trump is kind of jazzed by the idea of a perp walk. He kind of likes going on a perp walk. He can show that he's not bowed and blo bloodied. Maybe he'll smile. Maybe he'll give the thumbs up. He's not going to let them take him down. <clears throat> sure, perp walk him. So um, I read this as... Trump's hearing and reading and see that people are saying he's scared of, you know, he's scared of being perp walked, including something that Maggie herself wrote over the weekend or maybe Friday or something like that, that he actually has. And I think, Matt, you alluded to this also yesterday, that he has a jail phobia or maybe or maybe I'm sorry, maybe that was Jonah Goldberg on 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 Glop. So I, I think it was Jonah. OK, so it was Jonah that he's like. But I'll take credit. He's actually, for it. very he's actually very scared of going to jail. Like he spent seventy five years, you know, foot playing footsie on the line, and but you know, and that this is like a, a thing with him. And so he's read this and heard this, and so he basically said, "You call Maggie, or maybe he'll call Maggie and say he wants to be perp walked." Trust me, he doesn't want to be perp walked. Yeah. Sounds that, like some spin images. Yeah. And so that's the same thing here. It's like, this is going to be good for him because, you know, it's more unjust prosecution and that which doesn't kill him makes him stronger. Well, I, I even he, it, you know, even he in the midst of his own, you know, solipsistic delusions can't possibly believe that the, that the image of the former president of the United States being perp walked while he is trying to run for president for a third time is a good look. Well, it's also unclear as some reporting is suggesting that there will be a perp walk. I'm told there there's no yeah. chance there will right. be a perp walk. And it's with all the consideration with secret yeah. service and you know, so it, it, the, the the story 
you and I were talking about this earlier. I mean, the story I'd read to me is kind of like Trump spin, right? That's yeah. let's get it out. We're, we're really excited about what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they're excited. Yeah. Who would yeah. be excited? I mean, yeah. even if you think it's going to help you win the, the nomination, uh, you know, uh, it's a real drain on your psyche. I would say too, the Trump camp is putting out the look since Trump's tweet on Saturday saying he was going to be arrested on March 21st, which didn't happen. We've raised one and a half million dollars. Well, that's not that much. Yeah. What about the 10 million you should be raising? So we, we will leave it there. He should have raised 10 million. He raised a million and a half. That's not as good as for some reason people are, are saying. And uh, we thank you for listening as ever. And we'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christine, and Matt. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.